Praise God. Well, you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And I just thank you, Father, that as we, uh, every day, as we um, spend time in your word, that we will see something new, that we will grow, that we will mature. And I just thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning. And Lord, I also pray that we would have hearts that are ready to receive what you would have for us, so we would have eyes to see and that we'd have ears to hear. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So after, if you remember last week, we were going to finish this series up of who we are with kind of dealing with our mission statement as our church, and that is to evangelize, to equip, and to empower. We talked last week about uh, evangelizing and inviting people to church is one way. I see some new folks in here today, so that's exciting. Somebody listened, so that's good. Praise God. Um, but the thing is, is that we don't stop there because that's one of the problems we have as the church in the United States is that, is that we're pretty good at, at making converts, but we're terrible at making disciples. We get people to come up to the altar, they have an emotional experience, and then they just kind of stay where they're at. And the problem is, is the world comes in and, and overwhelms them. And as soon as that happens, the enemy doesn't want them to walk with the Lord. So they get attacked or things change and they get pulled away. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about in our Bible study on Wednesday night as we're going through the book of Mark is this difference between people who are just wanting to, to come up and see Jesus and those who actually wanted to follow Jesus. And the key is, is to, to, to be the ones that want to follow Jesus. You don't want to just stay where you're at when you, when you first had that emotional experience with Jesus. You don't want to be that person that's just coming to, to get something. You know, there's so many people that the only time they ever uh, really press back into God is because the whole world falls apart. Now, I, I thank God that, that people would reach out to God when that happens, but I, I, would, I pray that it wouldn't just stop there, right? But what happens so often is that people get their miracle or God moves and does something and, and then they just go right back to the way they were. They treat God as kind of some like sort of holy slot machine, like ching, 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 yay, I won. And they go back to the way they were. But the reality is, is that we're not supposed to stay that way. We're actually supposed to be being equipped and growing and following Jesus. We don't want to be the people that are just coming to get something, but instead we want to walk alongside him. And as a church, this is this kind of, we're going to talk about two aspects today. One is the reality that as a church, we want to be teaching and equipping others. But there's also some personal responsibility involved in that as well, as we have to make sure that we are being equipped ourselves. You see, the equipping part, they have another word for it. It's called discipleship. And that means that you're walking alongside somebody, and you're learning, and you're growing. And uh, I don't know if you notice what the root word of discipleship is, but it comes from the word discipline. They come from the same, the same root. You have to be disciplined to be a disciple. And the reality is, is that every single person in this room, you have a calling. You have something that God intends for you to do. You have a plan and a purpose for your life. And that means that there are things in the church that aren't just meant to get done by the pastors and the evangelists and the heavy hitters. I mean, each and every one of us has a job. But the problem is, is that while that reality is true, if all you have is an emotional experience with God and you never get off the starting line, you never grow, you never mature, then you're never going to step into what God wants you to do because God wants you to be ready. 
kind of. I think sometimes he wants you to step out even when you feel like you're not ready. He's going to be there for you. But the truth is, is that we want to grow and we want to step out and we want to keep moving forward. Amen. And Jesus was a perfect example of how this works. Right? Because he went out and uh, he evangelized. When he first came out, he began preaching and speaking. But then he found those men, those, those, the, the ones who would later become the apostles. And he grabbed a hold of them and he said, you know what? Follow me. And we begin to see what the equipping looks like, what discipleship looks like. And then he sends them out, right? That's still part of the equipping when he sent them out two by two and then he, then he sent the larger group out, right? They're still being equipped, but they're still walking with Jesus. And then one day Jesus leaves and he sends them out on their own. And that's next week, being empowered to step out into your calling because that's, that's the goal is we want to make people saved. We want to get them trained up and equipped and then we want to empower them to step out into what God has for them. Amen. So let's look at the equipping today. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, it says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be referred to as unskilled in the way of righteousness. You know, there's only one, one, one time that that's okay, and that's when you're first born again. After that, you should be growing. You should be becoming more skilled. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, and they're still saying you're unskilled in the way of righteousness, you need to take a step back and evaluate your process of discipleship. Amen? So he says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid milk is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, most of you guys are familiar with babies. Just something everybody's seen. We understand how they work. And here's the thing. Everybody knows, well, most people know, <laughs> that babies can't digest solid food. They've actually found that the early introduction of solid foods with babies can actually introduce uh, different kinds of diseases in their life. It's been linked to an increased risk of, di uh, of obesity, diabetes, eczema, and celiac disease. And they found that, that there's a correlation between feeding your child solid food before they're ready. There's also some mechanical issues, right? It's kind of hard to chew steak without teeth. Babies don't have teeth yet. And this is why when I talk to people who are new believers and they're, 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 they're trying to learn how to study the Bible, this is why I tell them, you know what? You need to start with, with the basics and get a hold of, the, of, a, of a solid foundation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start in the book of John. Skip the first three Gospels. Just start in the book of John. And then read through the book of Jude. And then skip Revelation because that don't just mess you up. And then read that over and over again. Read that at least a half a dozen times before you start reading the rest of the stuff. Because once you have a solid foundation in what Christ did and what Christ has accomplished, you're going to be able to view some of the tougher things to deal with in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation through the lens of what Christ has accomplished. You're going to have a better foundation for understanding what is in those things. So, Young Christians are like that. We need to grow. We need to start from nothing and grow up to have a firm foundation to understand this stuff. Baby Christians are exactly just like baby people. They're not ready for some of the stuff. They're not ready for the solid food. We've got to get them started on the basics. 
And, and there's a period when you just have to grab a hold that you have to understand that I am forgiven, that I am holy, that I am free, that I am loved. Those are the basics of Christianity. When you get born again, you are those things. And it takes a little while for us to really get a hold of that. And there's a process that we can read the word and, and people or somebody can tell us that. And we might understand it intellectually, but until you start reading the word and you get a revelation of God, there's a difference between intellectually understanding something than having a true revelation of God's word. And that only comes by spending time in his word and, and studying it. And then after they figure out the basic stuff, then they start learning that they're, that they're, they, they begin to learn that they're victorious and that they're free and that they're healed. So we begin to grow into who we are in Christ, and it's a process of growing and maturing. And Paul is dealing with a group of people who should have started working through that process of growing and maturing, but instead of growing and maturing, they just sat there at the start line. And it's really easy for, for us to point and go, man, I can't believe those people. I mean, they even had Paul teaching them. Why are they still on the start line? And I'm always reminded when I'm tempted to be critical that I got born again when I was very young and I stayed on the start line for 20 years. I was, I was, I was still needing milk for 20 years before I finally decided to walk out this path of discipleship and understand and grow and mature. But these people, they had, they had been with Paul. Paul's teaching them, and, or uh, likely Paul. Might not have been Paul. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But uh, whoever it was, these are, these are mature men in God, and they're teaching them, and they should have been growing, and they weren't. They, and then it says they had become dull of hearing. And what this is, uh, just another way of saying they were either unable or, or more than likely unwilling to hear anymore. They should have been past the stage of learning and growing those first steps and actually moved into a stage of teaching others. The thing is, is when we mature, it's not about actually just us growing up, but it's growing up to be in a position then we can help others grow as well. That's the, the process is, is, is salvation, you know, evangelization, and then being equipped, that's growing. But then you step out into a ministry and you begin to help equip others. That's the whole purpose. But these folks, instead of teaching others, they ended up being stuck. Says, By the time, this time you ought to be teachers, but instead we have to keep giving you the basics over and over and over. So our goal with new believers in this church, if somebody is born again, is we want to help them grow. That's why we want to get them plugged into the different things that we have. That's why we have Bible studies on Wednesdays and Friday nights. That's why we have men's meetings and women's meetings. That's why we have, obviously, Sunday service. But the problem is, is that we need to get people involved in those things, but it doesn't just stop there because that's the stuff that we do corporately. But how can you... Those of you who have been Christians for a while, who are, or are mature, who should be teaching, how can you get involved and help equip others as well? Are you meeting with other people to do Bible studies with them, to pray with them? Just get started. Call people and see how they're doing. The great, uh, a great part of discipling people is just being their friend and being there for people. So that's our goal with new believers is to help them grow to equip them. And it should be our goal for ourselves as well. Because here's the thing. Even if you're a teacher, you still need to be growing yourself. You don't stop being equipped. You don't stop growing. And as we begin to grow, we become more mature. We begin to see things as God sees them. And here it says that we actually begin to be able to distinguish good from evil. 
You know, it's funny, young believers have to ask, is this a sin? Can I do this or can I not? But as a, as a mature believer, you shouldn't have to ask anymore. Your mind should be in alignment with Christ. You should be thinking like he thinks. You should kind of just know if you can do it or not. And if you're not sure, find out if it aligns with the Word of God. That's the litmus test. But our ability to determine if something is from God or if it's not increases in accuracy as we grow in Him. The more we know Him, the more we, more we know of ourselves in Him, the more we're going to be able to discern these things naturally because we're growing and maturing. Amen. Man, as I imagine, uh, Pastor Joseph, you're working in the carpentry field. I bet you can tell a difference between an apprentice and a, and a, a very senior carpenter. Because they don't have to ask the questions anymore. How do I do this? What should I do here? They don't have to figure it out. Because they've been doing it for so long, it comes naturally. It's part of who they are. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, this is Paul speaking. We're sure of that. It says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you are not ready for it. For even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, the good news is the Hebrew church wasn't the only one that was having problems. It was happening in the, the Corinthian church as well. And it turns out that your actions are a pretty good indicator of your level of maturity. We have here, he says, listen, you guys, there's jealousy and strife among you. And if you're acting like that, aren't you just acting in a normal human way? You're acting in the flesh. So it turns out how we live our life, how we act, how we operate in our lives is an indicator of our level of maturity. If you're always... Uh, 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 being petty with people or getting angry with people or judging people or you're always offending people or you're always getting offended. It begins to see that, that uh, maybe you should start working on growing in the Lord so you can deal with these things later in a better way. Because as we mature, it turns out you're going to act less fleshly, less selfish. And instead of acting like the men of this world, you begin acting like Jesus. Amen. There was a preacher that once said, most Christians are betweeners. And when he was asked, what do you mean by that? He said, they're between Egypt and Canaan, out of place, out of the place of danger, but not yet into the place of rest and rich inheritance, he replied. They are between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, saved by the blood, but not yet enjoying newness of the resurrection of life. That's a picture of somebody that's become converted, but they're still stuck in the beginning. They've not been equipped. And here's the thing. Not only will you have trouble being effective in the kingdom of heaven if you don't mature and you grow, but you're also missing out on so much for what God wants for you. Because one, you may just not even know about it. Or two, you've not learned to be able to trust in God to do those things in your life. Amen? So we're supposed to grow. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a child. 
it's part of our natural development. It's just kind of how it works. You're born, you're a baby, then you go into a child. You go from, from, from infant to toddler to, to, to teenager or tweenager, I guess, is the stuff between that. And there's this whole level of process of growth. But the thing is, when you're a child, it's okay to be a child. But once you're an adult, it's time to start acting like an adult. There comes a time when you must grow up. Now, when your children are younger, they need help with a lot of things. One of my least favorite things to do as a young dad was to hear that call from the bathroom. Dad, need help wiping my butt. No fun wiping a butt. Just not fun. But when they're young, they need help with that. They need help with their food being prepared. They need help being reminded to, to, to wash their bodies and to, to, to brush their teeth, all of those things. They need help with everything. And that's okay because they're kids. And that's our job is to be there for them, to help them grow, to help them become young men and women of God. And when they're young, you ever seen the kid, you know, they, they, they can't really talk yet, so they're using one word of commands? You know, like, milk, milk. Now, it's okay when a kid does that. If Blake walked in the house right now and started doing that, he might get a smack upside the head. Because there's a time and place for that, and there's a time when you're expected to grow and learn. If you're still acting like that when you're 20, you got problems. And growing up is also about learning who you are. And this is true in the physical and the spiritual sense. When you're growing up physically, you're learning about your likes and your dislikes. Your personality is developing. You're learning about who you are. And the same is true spiritually as well. But it's slightly different because growing up uh, humanly and learning who you are, it's, it's a process of discovery. Growing up spiritually is uh, who you are has already been determined by what Christ has done. Growing up spiritually is about learning who you are in Christ and living that out in your life. It's not a discovery process. Who you are has already been determined by what Christ has done. And you're learning to live out that in your life. Like I always say, when you're born again, at that moment, you are perfect, you are pure, you are holy, you are righteous. But sometimes it takes a little while for your body to figure out what is true in the spiritual. And that's what this equipping is about. That's what this growing is about. Because the moment you are born again, you are righteous, you are free. But sometimes it takes a while for our body to walk that out because we have to learn and we have to grow. The reality is true that when you said yes to Jesus, you're righteous or free. But if you don't ever get equipped, if you never spend time in your words, you might not know this. So you don't ever actually experience it in your life. It's like a, a, if somebody was in a, it really, it's like kind of like what they do with elephants. When an elephant is small, they, they stick it to a tiny little peg. And they can't get away because it's too tough. And as they get older, they're so used to having that on. As soon as they feel the pressure, they, they don't even try to pull the stake out. Even though when they're adults, they have more than enough power to pull that stake out. 
Or it's like somebody that, that uh, if you're born again and you never grow, it's like somebody, if you were stuck in a prison cage and somebody came and unlocked the door and pushed it open, but instead you just stay inside the cage. Because you haven't grown, you haven't learned, you haven't matured, so you can't actually walk out what has truly been accomplished by Christ. And just like our parents, when we're growing up, help to mold us and to shape us as we grow. Our spiritual parents are those who are already mature, those who should be doing the teaching. They're doing the same thing as well. They're helping to mold and shape us and to guide us. And like I said, the primary difference is, is that with physical growth, you're, you're, who you are is not necessarily set. You're growing, you're discovering, you're being molded and shaped. But in the physical, spiritual sense, we should be as teachers guiding people into who they are in Christ, what the Scripture says about them. Amen. And then in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The danger of always staying a child is that you'll never be stable on your own. Children can be whisked away by stronger men who would kidnap them. We see it all the time. They don't have the strength to, to stay away. They're also very easily persuaded. Like a man who lures a child into his van with the promise of candy. Spiritual children can be stolen away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness and craftiness. It says here, we don't want to be like children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There are religions out there right now that look so close to the real thing that they easily deceive those who are looking for hope. But they're deceived, and instead of finding real hope, they find false hope. But the problem is they don't even know they don't have it because the, 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 it is so crafty, it is so close, it is so deceitful. One of the, probably one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to make people think they're saved by believing in something that could never save them. And the only way to defend against this kind of thing is to equip yourself with the knowledge of what the scripture says is to grow and to mature so that way you are stable that you're not tossed to and fro and instead of being tossed we should be speaking the truth and love and to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ and this is another thing that i think is always so often misunderstood you always know that something good's not coming if somebody comes up to you and goes Brother, I just want to speak the truth to you in love. That never starts a good conversation. Because the problem is, is people think that speaking the truth in love is about pointing out failures and pointing out mishaps. That's not what speaking the truth in love is. Speaking the truth in love is not to point out their failure, but to point out Christ's success. He is the truth in the way and the life. To speak the truth is to point at Him. 
Instead of telling people that they're in bondage, remind them that they're free. That's speaking the truth in love. Tell them that they're victorious, not point out that they failed. The things that are truth is that they are pure, that they're loved, they're victorious, they're more than conquerors, they're healed, they're strong in him. These things are the truth. That's how we should speak the truth in love. Remind people of who they are in Christ. And then he goes on. We're supposed to grow into Christ because that is what helps grows the body and makes it strong. And we need to grow so that we're stable in our own walk, so that we're equipped to handle every scheme or every doctrine and not be deceived by others. And also to remember that our growth is not necessarily for individual gain, but instead it's for the equipping and the building of the body. And when we grow together, we become strong together, we build a stronger body. And a stronger body is more effective at building the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't want to look like one of those guys that spends all their time in the gym only working on their <laughs> upper body, never does leg day. So from the waist up, they look great. From the waist down, they look like a 10-year-old boy. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to be an entire strong body. Amen. And then if we step back, the way he started that last verse is this. Ephesians 4, 11, 13, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what they refer to as the fivefold ministry, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And uh, the purpose of these ministries is to equip the saints. Too many people think the purpose of these ministries is to do all the work to get everybody saved, to train all the people. No, the purpose of these ministries is to just come together and train and equip you to go out and do all the work. The work is not just for the pastors and the evangelists. It's for each and every one of us. We're here to equip you for you to go out and preach the gospel, for you to go out to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We're here to build up and to equip. You guys are out to go out to do the work of ministry. And the goal of this is to, for all of these offices, to help build the, the, the uh, he calls it the unity of the faith. That's one of the things we're still struggling with as a church. I don't mean this church locally, but as a church globally. That's why we have so many denominations. Not much unity in the faith. Now, thank God, most of us got the heaven and hell bit right. And what I mean by that, the heaven and hell bit, is that, that Jesus is the only path to salvation through faith in him. And the truth is, is, any other church, as long as we got that part right, if we got Jesus right, we can be in fellowship together. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit if you don't, that's okay. As long as you believe in Jesus, we can still work together. And I hope that one day as we, as we all continue to grow and mature in Christ, that we all will reach that, that uh, unity of the faith. But we can't control everybody else, but we can control us. And it's our job is to be mature. It's our job to come underneath 
those ministries, those offices, so that we can be equipped, so that we can step out into our own ministry. We need to keep moving towards that because the thing is, our goal is to, to grow into a mature manhood. And that standard of measure, the, 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 to mature manhood, the, the measure of that is to look like Christ, the measure and stature of Jesus Christ. That means that we need to be walking like Christ, living like Christ, thinking like Christ, doing like Christ. That is the, the, the measure. And if we're not living our lives in every area like Christ, then we still have some maturing to do. Amen. The question is, if this is our goal, if this is our purpose, we need to grow, what does that look like? How do we do it? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is how you become equipped. It's how you become the mature man that you're supposed to do. Not only is the Word of God His love letter to us, but it's also our instruction manual. It's how we grow. It's how we learn. The Scriptures is what teaches us how to be equipped. And in reading His Word, we learn who we are in Him, and we learn His promises regarding us. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. When we spend time in his word, our faith is actually increased. If you want your faith to grow, that's how you do it. You spend time in his word, reading his word, listening to his word. There's not a preacher in the world that can increase your faith. But the word of God can. That's what it's there supposed to be doing. And the more you trust God, the less likely you are to place your faith in something else or some other object or some other doctrine. And the more you know him, like we said, you're not going to be deceived, tossed to and fro. And we do that by spending time in His Word because the, the Scripture itself is breathed out by God and it's profitable for us for, for teaching, for learning, for growing, for reproof and for correction. That means sometimes you need to allow what the Word says to change how you live your life. That means that the Word of God is what should have authority in your life and, and, and it should guide and dictate how you live. In Joshua 1.8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So we have to meditate on His Word day and night. Now, Christian meditation is not the same as Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. Eastern meditation is about clearing everything out. You know what happens when you clear everything out? You got a big empty space that something can move in. Christian meditation is about filling your mind with the Word of God. Meditating on it is about speaking the Word of God, reading the Word of God, having it in your mind. Matter of fact, the Hebrew word used for meditate here can be translated to moan, growl, utter, speak, or muse. Basically, what it means is just to speak the word repeatedly. So that's why it says, the book of the law shall not depart your mouth, but you shall meditate on it daily. What it's saying is, the word of the law shall not leave your mouth, you shall speak it daily. Well, you got to read it, you got to take it in to be able to speak it. And the key to that growth is spending time in his word, reading it, 
meditating on him. Like we said, what that is, is, is having his word in your brain, not exiting everything from your brain. And then with the knowledge of the word of God, it turns out that we'll be equipped for every situation. The word of God has guidance for every decision that we have to make in our lives. And that's the number one reason when I preach, I use so much scripture. You've never seen me preach where I just have one passage or a couple of passages and I, I preach 45 minutes on just one scripture. The truth is, is I put a bunch of scripture in there because my speaking is not going to increase your faith. Now, I'm hoping to help you understand stuff. I'm helping to help you guide stuff. But the truth is, it's the word of God that is going to make an impact in your life. Not me. And it's the word of God that increases your faith. Not me. I can tell all kinds of amazing stories. But it's his word that is actually working in you. Not me. And that's why I use so much scripture. Besides, he says it better than me anyway. John 8, 31 to 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Boy, is there a lot to pick up in here. How do you know if you're really Jesus' disciple? You abide in his word. To abide means to accept or act in accordance with. The word can also be translated to remain. If you remain in my word, you abide, you accept, you act in accordance with his word. And there's a couple things that you have to do to be able to act in accordance with his word, to abide in his word. You have to know it. One of the requirements of being a disciple is that we remain in his word, that we abide in his word, that we accept his word, that we act in accordance with his word. And the reality is, is his word is truth. And it's only that truth, the truth of the gospel, that can set you free. So many people are looking for truth elsewhere, and we actually live in a world where there's this idea that everybody can have their own truth, which is just the most ridiculous concept to me. Oh, that's your truth. It's not my truth. What does that even mean? Truth by definition is only one thing. It either is the truth or it is not. We both can't have our own truth. The problem with everybody having their own truth is there is nothing that is true. If your truth is that it's okay to murder people, does that mean that your truth is okay and we should just let people do that? Well, that's their truth. Their truth is it's okay. The thing about everybody having their own truth is there's no, object, there's, there's no objective morality. Everything is subjective. And if everything is subjecting, there is no truth. That's a side rant. I just don't get the logic of how people think through these things. But the reality is, is that the gospel, the truth of the gospel can set you free, and it's the only way to be set free. Truth isn't subjective. You can't find truth anywhere else. In John 15, 5 through 11, it says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. A Christian who doesn't abide in Christ is like a branch that is tossed away, that only has one good use left, and that's to be burned in the fire. Now, I don't think this means that, that uh, these people are going to hell. I think this is talking about their effectiveness. You know what a... Uh, a branch 
that is dried up and is, is, is only good for firewood doesn't do, it doesn't produce fruit. If you don't abide in him, if you don't walk with him, you're not acting in accordance with his word, then you're not going to produce any fruit in your life. And all that's left is to be tossed in the fire and to be burned. At least you get some use if you toss something in the fire to be burned up. It produces heat. You can cook on it. There's some sort of use, but it doesn't produce fruit anymore. We don't want to be Christians that don't produce fruit, who don't have any use. Amen? And if you don't grow, if you don't mature, that's where you get stuck. Romans <clears throat> Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is perfect, or what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another part of growing and maturing in Christ is understanding that we're not part of this world, that we are actually aliens in a foreign land. Philippians 3.20 says that we're, our citizenship is in heaven, not on this earth anymore. And because of that, we need to remember not to let this culture overtake us. We need to maintain who we are. And also it says here, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed. I don't know if you ever noticed that. That's not just a good idea, but that's a command. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's not something that happens by osmosis. Now, man, would it be a lot easier if you could just tuck the Bible under your bed and go to sleep on it and wake up with the full knowledge of it. But it doesn't work that way. You actually have to spend time in it. So this being renewed in our mind requires action on our part. It means studying. It means growing. It means spending time in His Word and in prayer and in worship. And that's a commandment for us is to renew our mind. And that's how you do it is by His Word. And when we do that, we become a living testament to God's will when we live our lives as living sacrifices with renewed minds. That's when we're producing fruit. And we prove God's will for our lives, even to those who think our living for God is crazy or it's some sort of misplaced zeal. We prove that God is working in us and through us. And we prove that he has a plan for our lives. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to have trials and tribulations in our lives. But it means that with Jesus, we'll be equipped to deal with all that comes. And you will look different. A mind that is renewed and is not being overcome by the culture of this world looks different than those who are living in this world. And people will notice. And hopefully, they'll notice it and say, man, I want what they have. But the problem is, is too many Christians look just like the rest of the world. And people go, why would I want to be a Christian? They look just like me. They live just like me. They're just guilty all the time. They feel bad all the time. Well, the problem is, is because their mind's not been renewed. They've not matured. They've not grown. And they're still living like the world, being tossed to and fro instead of living out what God wants for them, living out who God has made them to be, living in the promises of God. Amen. James 1, 22 through 25 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what? When we hear the word and we don't act on it, we don't live it out, we're actually deceiving ourselves. 
It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you want to be an ineffective Christian, all you have to do is show up on Sunday and don't do anything else. That's what an ineffective Christian looks like. All you're coming is hearing the word, but you're not letting it work in your life. You're not actually abiding in his word or living in accordance with his word. You just show up on Sunday, and if you do nothing else, that's how to be an ineffective Christian. When we hear the word on Sunday morning, it can make us excited. It can ignite faith inside of us, and we're pumped, ready to tackle the whole world. But the problem is, is if that's the extent of your Christianity, as soon as you leave, the fire fades. And you look in a mirror, like it says here, you look in the mirror and you see who you are in Christ. You get excited, but as soon as you walk away, you begin to forget. So instead of living out what the scripture says about you, you look just like you were before. You fade back. You forget. But the truth is, is that we need to live the word in the life. We need to act on the word. We need to lay hands on the sick. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to spend time in the Word, renewing our mind. We need to speak to the mountains and claim victory in our life. We actually have to exercise the freedom that has been given us in Christ. We have to live out the Word in our life. Because if you don't, then you just become what so many people say about Christians, a hypocrite. When you say you're free, but you still live in bondage every single day. And that's the problem with being only a hearer, is we become hypocrites. And the truth is, the damage that is done to the church can be huge. In a 1993 annual meeting of the American Heart Association, 300,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers met in Atlanta to discuss, among other things, the importance a low-fat diet plays in keeping hearts healthy. Yet during mealtimes, they consumed fat-filled fast foods such as bacon, cheeseburgers, and fries, about the same rate as people from other conventions. And when one cardiologist was asked whether or not his partaking in high-fat meals set a bad example, he replied, not me, I took my name tag off. <laughs> That's us when we claim to be Christians, but we live like the rest of the world. Except the problem is, is you probably still have your name tag on. People know you're a Christian, or at least you tell people you are, but you, you live just like everyone else, and we become hypocrites. That's not who we want to be. We're supposed to be a city on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand, shining brightly as ambassadors for Christ, showing what a changed life looks like. And then finally, the most important part of discipleship is to follow Jesus. John 1.43 says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Jesus set the example for the disciples. He said, Follow me. Do as I do. And he led by example for them, for the work that they were going to be doing. See, it's a process, right? We, we, we get saved, we start young, but we're expected to grow. 
Jesus said, listen, follow me. They started like children. He taught them. They grew, and eventually Jesus left, and they had to be ready to step out and do the work on their own. Paul set the same example for his disciples when he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I wonder how long that expression got as it went down the road when Apollo said, be imitators of Paul as Paul is of Christ. And his disciples said, be imitators of Paulo, who is an imitator of Paul, who is an imitator of Christ. Imagine how long that line would get. So I say, skip the middleman. Just imitate Christ. It's a lot easier to say. <laughs> same, same result, amen. We need to be the same type of example as well. This is an interesting message because there's two parts to it. One is we need to understand that we are to be equipped, that we are to grow. But it's also... We need to remember that for those of us who have some equipping and have some growth underneath our belts, we need to be there to help equip and help others grow as well. You weren't saved to sit on your blessed assurance every Sunday morning, but instead God had a plan and a purpose for your life. We need to be the same type of example. So if you're young in Christ and you're still growing, find someone to get a hold of, to, to walk alongside, to learn, to mature. Be a disciple. You know, and that's one of those things in the business world right now. If you want to find someone to mentor you, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking and said, how, how can I find good people to mentor me? And he said, be a person that's actually going to listen, that's going to grow. You actually need to be a person where the mentor feels like they're not wasting their time on you. And the truth is, in the Christian world, it seems like for me, I, we're, we're always going out of our way to find people to disciple. But people should be clamoring at people above them saying, teach me, help me, and be the person that wants to be taught. That means be willing to be corrected, be willing to be taught, be willing to, be willing to sacrifice you might have to spend some time. And then the people that are mentoring, make sure you input that time. As a young Christian, you should be out there looking for people to mentor you and doing everything that you can so that they are willing to do so and that they feel like that they're making an impact, that you're not just wasting their time. And as, as people that have some maturity under their belt, you should be being willing to teach those people and be willing to help them grow. And if they're not out there looking, we should be grabbing them under our wing anyway. Because the truth is, is that we need to be discipling people. We need to be being discipled. And the good news is, is, is you do both at the same time. You can be teaching someone younger than you in Christ while still being taught by someone who's more mature. We need to keep growing, keep being equipped, and keep equipping. Amen. And that's a responsibility all of us have. And here's the thing is it takes time. That means you're going to have to spend time with people and you're going to have to spend time in your word. And church, I'd encourage you to do that. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.